Hello. If you are coming to this without having listened to part one of this story, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to part one because the previously that I'm about to play is not going to fully explain it. Having said that, previously on the rule book. This is the most unpopular defendant uh, in Victorian criminal history in recent times. Uh, will we fund this person? We made an application uh, for legal aid funding. So they said no. Who refused the application. That was challenged. The trial judge heard it. Those convictions would be quashed. You know, wrongful convictions um, are the cancer of any justice. The trial judge decided that legal aid were wrong to have taken into account the finite It always matters that a person is wrongly convicted. It doesn't matter if that person is doing life, doesn't matter if that person is doing 14 days in prison or not in prison at all. And Legal Aid looked at it again and again said no. I'm James Milsom and this is The Rule Book. In the first part of the story, we heard that the subject of the story, who we're referring to for now as the client, was serving a life term in prison. He was convicted of some other crimes after that, and he wanted to appeal those convictions. His lawyers said that he had a good case. Legal Aid agreed, but Legal Aid also said, we're not going to fund your lawyers for your appeals. They said that in part, it was because of their fears for public confidence in them being undermined. That means their reputation would be damaged. People would have a different perception of them, maybe a perception as a bunch of people who represent bad guys, which is, incidentally, a lot of what they do, depending on the way you're looking at it. We're going to learn the identity of the client, the subject of this story, in just a moment, but I want us to learn it in the chronological sequence that the public in Victoria and in Australia learned it just a few years ago. And this is a taste of the introduction that Australians were given to the client. Fears are intensifying for the welfare of Jill Ma as the most wanted person in Australia refuses to come forward. Police poring over that video this morning to try to find any clues to Jill's disappearance. That's right, Michael, and it will help retrace The has reached a crucial stage. Peter, it's now six days since Jill Ma vanished and the theory she was abducted from very close... She walked north on Sydney Road until she got to this store... The, a bridal booth with it and police station. Jill and a man wearing a blue hoodie further down Sydney Road before he approached her outside past the boutique store. She's not been seen since, and police are hoping that this CCTV footage and people coming forward. Off, and so that time is 1.43. We're interested in talking to anyone that was in the Sydney Road area in the early hours of Saturday morning. We're particularly interested in talking to a man in a blue top that's depicted in the footage, who appears to be talking to Gillian. And so Australians monitored online and in newspapers and on television the hunt for this man in the blue hoodie who was suspected of uh, having been involved in the disappearance of Jill Ma. Her husband saw a lot of time in front of the camera. No, until they update me. So, what about yourself? Do you plan to do something and what, what do you do? Well, then? we're still um, doing lo- lo- loads of postering and Facebook campaigning, Twittering, all that stuff, but uh, 
But it wasn't that long after the hunt began that it ended. Police have charged a 41-year-old man with the murder of Melbourne woman Jill Ma. Adrian Bailey has faced an out-of-sessions court hearing charged with rape and murder. Police have found the ABC employee's body off a dirt road in Gisborne South, northwest of Melbourne. Bailey will face a Melbourne court later this morning. Uh, I acted for Mr Bailey in relation to the proceedings uh, where he uh, pleaded guilty to the murder and rape of uh, Ms Ma. Bailey's barrister, Paul Smallwood. Uh, Mr Bailey pleaded guilty to those uh, charges and after hearing a plea in mitigation, uh, Justice Jeffrey Nettle imposed a sentence of life imprisonment and a non-parole period of 35 years. Um, Mr Bailey had a significant criminal record um, having previously committed a number of very serious sexual offences uh, prior to being sentenced uh, in relation to those charges. And the media was very much aware of Bailey's criminal record. He's now 42 and we know that he committed his first rape when he was 18 and went on to commit another 21 rapes. He spent more than half of his adult life in prison. And we could listen to media clips all day and then all of tomorrow and so on. And that sort of makes the point. There was so much coverage of this. It would be strange if if you're an Australian, especially if you're a Victorian, if you hadn't heard about Adrian Bailey and, and his victim, Jill Maher. So here we revisit the question that legal aid were asked to answer a number of times. Should somebody like Adrian Bailey or, well, hell, just Adrian Bailey, get legal aid? Should the taxpayers fund lawyers to pay for somebody like this? It's got to be mentioned, in fairness, that legal aid had paid, or the the public purse had paid for legal representation for Adrian Bailey many, many times, including for his almost trial and then guilty plea for the murder of Jill Maher. The issue was, do you allocate some of legal aid's very finite resources um, to this appeal um, or, or other appeals generally, or do you focus on other priority areas? And once again, that's Fiona McLeod, Senior Counsel uh, Barrister at the Victorian Bar. Now let's first just pick up on the issue that we almost finished part one of this story with, that of public confidence. And so then actually on that um, high profile note, Yep. Um, the other side of that coin, I think, is um, so Greg Barnes in his criticism talked about the fact that legal, well, sorry, the suggestion that legal aid um, were shying away from this case because it was so high profile and they didn't, they were concerned um, about, about that affecting community um, faith in or um, yep. opinions of legal aid. So, um, first of all, I don't accept that they are swayed by that public opinion, but certainly they are swayed by the need to look at how do you allocate resources within that ever-increasing pool and that ever-diminishing source of funds. Um, and so they have to, you know, they have to decide as a, as a principle, do we always fund criminal appeals uh, that are meritorious? There is no such direction at the moment. 
So it's open to them to decide. Barrister Greg Barnes published an opinion article on this very issue. Oh, well, they've got to be, you know, people have got to have confidence in legal aid. I made the point to him. Him, the managing um, director of legal, legal aid. Legal aid is not a popularity contest. Um, legal aid's role is to ensure justice and it's to ensure that uh, cases which have merit, uh, particularly cases where people are incarcerated and they're serious crimes, if those cases have merit, uh, they must be funded if a person qualifies. Now, um, to say, well, legal aid, you know, people will lose confidence if it, if it, if it um, acts for really bad people is a really dangerous argument. Uh, effectively, what it's saying is, you know, we'll engage in some sort of popularity uh, poll before we decide whether we're going to fund a case that's had a very high profile. You know, Adrian Bailey is entitled to the same treatment that a person who has never been heard of by the public is when they have their uh, matter examined by legal aid. One popular issue in discussion publicly and in the media at the time of all of this was the fact that Bailey was 42. There was 43 years until he was even allowed to apply for parole. He killed Jill Ma while he was on parole. The point being, there was a fair chance, certain people were saying, that he was never going to get out anyway. He was going to be in jail for the rest of his life. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Rule Books, then why not subscribe? You'll be one of the first to hear all new episodes and it helps others find this excellent podcast. You might even like to support the hard work that goes into putting this podcast together by heading over to therulebook.xyz and donating your dollars. For as little as $2, you can help to make this excellent thing happen. And the more you donate, the more you have access to. Extended episodes, Q&A, it could all be yours. Head on over now to therulebook.xyz and follow the links through. Back in the room with Fiona McLeod. The, then there's the argument that, um, that, that Bailey's not likely to see outside of a prison ever again yep. anyway. Yep. So why would we even bother um, letting him appeal? Um, because each ca- the, the, the integrity of the system of justice depends on each conviction of uh, a criminal offence is sound and uh, trustworthy, if you like. Now, he may be a terrible person who everybody would like to see locked up forever, but given his current sentences based on the um, convictions that he has, that will ultimately be a decision for uh, Corrections Victoria and the Parole Board. Um, one, um, it's a minimum term. It's 40 years. He'll be in his 80s. Um, he'll be so institutionalised by that point, and I've acted for prisoners who've been in this space and asked, and asked me whether or not they should make a parole application. If they've been in prison for 40 years, they're so institutionalised and they're in their 80s, most of them uh, stay in jail, uh, and most of them don't bother making a parole application. But even if he were to make a parole application, his track record would need to be a good deal better than it is now, um, because he has breached parole in the past. And yeah, and and certainly a lot of the media again was reporting at the time on um, this on this this sort of weird assumption that this guy could be out in forty years, yeah, um, and he should be locked up for life. But yep. there was no um, well, there were very limited suggestions that um, about that could be out in forty years. I yep. think it's essential. 
Well, you know, um, when somebody is in their 70s uh, and they've served a significant period of a sentence uh, for a non-parole period, it is, um, it's important that the parole board get it right when they're looking at should this person be outside or inside jail. And Paul Smallwood, Bailey's lawyer. It can't be assumed that just because a non-parole period is imposed um, that any person who's serving a sentence will be released on parole um, when they're eligible um, to be so released. Um, various considerations have to be taken into account. Because the community has a very valid concern that people who've committed these horrendous crimes, and particularly crimes of violence against women that have resulted in the death of a young woman and the assault of others, um, that they shouldn't have the option to re-engage with society. But there is a flip side to that, which is that courts and, in this case, the parole board, are best placed to look at um, the circumstances of each individual and their progress as they go through the correction system. Returning almost to the starting point of this story, these appeals that Adrian Bailey wanted to run even though he was already serving a life term in prison. Well, so what happened to them? We've heard that legal aid wouldn't pay for Adrian to get lawyers, and so did that mean that he just didn't get any? Well, Paul Smallwood was there. Both of the appeals have taken place, and um, the Court of Appeal handed down its decision in relation to those appeals on the 13th of July of this year. Um, And the outcome was that the convictions recorded in one of the trials uh, were quashed uh, and the convictions recorded in the other of the trials that was the subject of an appeal um, were not quashed. So those convictions um, uh, stand. Who paid you for appearing um, for for Bailey? On the appeals? No one. Um, We appeared pro bono. Um, Why would you do that? We thought it was the right thing to do. I was not given the opportunity to interview the Managing Director for Victoria Legal Aid for this story. However, he did write an opinion article which was published in a couple of major papers. In it he said, I note that a competent appeal was run by competent counsel of the sort and calibre identified by the court as essential to their task. My former colleagues Saul Holt QC and Paul Smallwood of the Independent Bar should be congratulated for doing this without a fee. Greg Barnes, barrister, as you heard, wrote an opinion article. It, I think you might say triggered the opinion article from Legal Aid. Greg once again responds here. Well, his argument I thought was untenable on a range of levels. I did see that he said that, oh, well, he got competent representation, but there'd be many people who don't get competent representation. Adrian Bailey got very lucky. He had very competent counsel, but there are plenty of people who go through the system uh, who might and might go through the system without legal aid because they're unpopular for some reason who mightn't get competent counsel. And it doesn't get legal aid off the hook to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. They got pro bono. You've got people to do it pro bono. As the Court of Appeal said, this is a matter that should have been funded by legal aid. It's core business for legal aid. Legal Aid's managing director earlier in that same statement said, 
Legal aid commissions around Australia are no strangers to representing people feared and reviled in the community, or to making decisions that are unpopular. And I think that that's difficult to argue with. And I wonder if, with unlimited funds available, legal aid would be able to keep on exercising this ability to do things that are unpopular and act for the feared and reviled. Who knows, but for now, it seems no matter which way they go, their decisions can be unpopular. Legal aid is not about popularity. It's about, it's about justice. And it, you know, justice should happen. Everybody's entitled to justice, whether they be, whether they be you know, Adrian Bailey or the person who, who you know, breaks a speeding law. Everybody's entitled to fairness and justice. And part of fairness and justice is, is being able to go to court with competent counsel. Now, in cases where there's a very serious criminal trial, um, as, as was the case in Bali, or very serious criminal appeal, um, it's untenable that legal aid would not fund a person if they met all the criteria and they had a strongly arguable case. You can find out more about Adrian Bailey in these cases basically everywhere. Uh, there's a lot of coverage. I'm going to leave it there. Please don't hesitate to get in touch if you want to have a chat about this story. At Rural Book Podcast is the Twitter profile. Thanks once again to Fiona McLeod, Greg Barnes and Paul Smallwood for uh, agreeing to be interviewed for this story. And thanks very much to you for listening. Tell one friend. Trixie Studio.